and welcome to Kind Talk, the podcast brought to you by the Adverse Childhood Experiences Support Hub for Wales, where we chat to inspirational people who are making a difference through kindness and trauma-informed practice. Today's guests are Claire Budden, Chief Executive of Cleward Allen, Suzanne Mazone, Exec Director of Housing Services, and Elaine Gilbert, Exec Director of People, Comms and Marketing. Cleward Allen is a housing association in North Wales. Their mission is to work with others to beat poverty. They are developing trauma-informed practice and are truly living their organisational values of hope, trust and kindness. They have almost 800 employees, more than 6,000 homes, and they run care homes, homeless hostels, domestic violence refuge and provide housing for people with learning disabilities. And they also have lots of ordinary houses and apartments. So today I'm joined by Claire, Suzanne and Elaine. Clue and Allen are currently piloting the ACE Hubs Trauma and ACE Informed Toolkit. So you're on a journey to become a trauma-informed organisation. What does it mean within your organisation to be truly trauma-informed? How do you create a trauma-informed environment internally with your staff? We, we are on the start of a journey and um, I was glad that you referred to our values of trust, kindness and hope and lots of organisations have values but very few that I've ever been in does everybody who works for the company or receives services from the company can they honestly say that they feel that every action that's taken is really reflective of those values so we really mean what we say on the tin so we are on a journey to make sure that our employees feel trusted that they feel that the actions we take we do so with kindness and that we can provide our employees with hope for their careers and their futures and when I joined the company I I think I was a bit surprised really. I mean, we employ a lot of people, so 800 staff in a very broad range of roles. But we had a number of conduct, capability and grievance type cases happening each year, consuming a lot of um, staff time in investigating situations and making decisions. And I guess maybe because I'm getting older now, I've yet actually to see the outcomes of any of those situations being really positive for the individuals involved. And because, I guess, because of our values around trust, I think we genuinely believe that most employees coming into work intending to do a good job. You know, most people want to have pride in their work. They want to feel that what they've done is appreciated, no matter what their job is. And yet, whenever any of these processes take place, they're almost assuming somebody's done something wrong and they need to be punished for it or they need to, to learn from it in a very formal way. So... We had a look at um, cases that had happened in the past and we had a look at what we really wanted it to feel like in Clue Allen, recognising we all make mistakes, we all get things wrong, we, we can all have days when maybe our judgement is not as it would always be and we want the kind of climate where people feel they can put their hand up when something's gone wrong and they'll get help to put it right and that we learn from that as an organisation. So we decided that one of the things we needed to do was to just strip out some of our processes and become more of a learning organisation. And alongside that, we pride ourselves on the fact that we employ lots of staff who've got lived experience of our services. But of course, that means that we're likely to be bringing people into the organisation who've experienced homelessness or who've experienced trauma or who've experienced health issues. It could be mental health or physical health. And we want to make sure that we've really got an organisation that can support people, help people, 
and make sure that we can really give of our best every single day. So we set ourselves, we always like to do things with big, big audacious goals include Alan. So we said we were going to stop having disciplinaries, we were going to stop having grievances and we were going to stop having capability cases. And Elaine is going to talk through some of our cases in a minute, was really on board with the concept. But I think some people in her team are thinking, how, how are we going to do that? It's going to be like chaos. Um, and we're, we've, we've made some really, really good strides over the last um, 12 months. Um, and Elaine might perhaps quote some numbers to you of the numbers of cases we, we had, say, the year before and the numbers that we've got this year. But we've got a significant drop. And I think the organisation's becoming a better place to be and a better place to work. So, yeah, absolutely. I think this is a really transformative approach and it really shows your commitment. Um, so, yeah, Elaine, if we could just turn to you next to share an example of, of, of this and what benefits you've seen as well, perhaps. Yeah, re really happy to, to to share. I mean, I've got I've got a few examples to talk through, but I think the first one um, sort of struck me, and it and it was quite early on as we started on the journey, actually. And we'd recruited somebody uh, into our trades team who suffers from Asperger's, and we knew when we hired him that. Some of his choice of career would have been different to the career that he was starting with us. And, and I think he hadn't necessarily been supported in the past to sort of, you know, re realise his ambitions. Um, he joined us in a trainee capacity. Um, and what became clear quite quickly was that he had real difficulty in communicating with tenants and colleagues. And as a result of that, on some occasions, um, it resulted in some quite challenging behaviour being demonstrated. So if I think about maybe how we'd have done things in the past, we probably would have stepped into a formal process, ended his probationary period and said, I'm really sorry, it's just not going to work out. Um, but we took a step back and say, and said, you know, is there some support that we can put in place or change things that would create an environment where this person could thrive working working with us? Um, we looked at a number of options and we concluded that one of the best things that we could do was to move him into an environment where he could perform better. So there'd be less distractions, there'd be less people around. So we moved him into a role where he's working in some of our empty properties with a small team of colleagues. Um, he, so he had less contact and he had a greater chance of success in terms of being able to develop his career. He's a permanent employee. He's been with us now a couple of years. Um, and, you know, issues do arise because he's got a particular way of looking at things. But we've learned and we've also trained his managers to understand what some of those triggers are so they can support him if he gets into a situation where things are becoming difficult for him. And we've had some real positive outcomes in terms of the work that he's doing for us. So we've recently introduced values-based recruitment, which is a very different way for us to recruit. Um, we've moved from being very process-driven to one where we're really looking at what makes people tick and really what drives them to give their best in, in a work environment. So we know if we're recruiting, looking at our values of trust, hope and kindness, that if that's what drives somebody, they're going to be working with like-minded people within Cluid Allen. So we can all move forward collectively and with the, with the same drivers to, to support us. Um, and I think Claire said earlier that we 
like to recruit staff who have got lived experiences of some of the services we provide and obviously working from a values perspective that doesn't change that what it does it is it actually supplements um looking at that some of those experiences that they can then bring into the workplace which then enables them to build a greater level of trust and rapport with the people we're supporting who maybe are going through some of the challenges that they've also faced previously just in a, re a recent a little anecdote um i always make the new starters and at the moment that's obviously got to be online and last week um I just found it quite emotional to meet a group of new starters and one was telling me how she worked in our homeless services and I always ask people why they applied to work at Clwyd Allen and you're never quite sure what people are going to say um, and the story she recounted was that she just finished her degree at Wrexham University she'd done a degree I think in health and social care but she'd made a decision that she wanted to work with homeless um, people and she said to me the reason is that um, at between 16 and 18, I lived in Clwyd Allen Homeless Services and the staff that supported me and helped me to make the choices I've made now about going back to college, going to university. She said, I really felt I just wanted to come back and provide some of that benefit and experience to people that are going through the services now. So I made a really active choice to come and work for Clwyd Allen. So she's somebody that when you think about our values-based approach she's got the knowledge and experience now she's lived in the services and now she's wanting to come back um, and work with people so just stories like that are great um but perhaps elaine could just talk you through another of our um employee situations where i think our response to it more recently has been very different than it might have been in the past yeah thanks claire um over years we've um, we've supported people from some of our services into employment um, and we had a situation um, recently where we employed somebody who had experienced our homeless services um, he was an ex-force somebody ex-forces um, who developed a gambling addiction and I think this had led to actually to him accessing our services. So he was in a really difficult position when um, when, he, when he moved into uh, into one of our services. Um, he we employed him to do some work for us. And um, one one evening um, he took some money um, that was in the service and we were really disappointed with that and because we'd looked at the situation we'd looked at the risks and we would tried to manage it to the, to the best of our ability um, and it disappointed him and it disappointed his colleagues as well who were incredibly supportive of him um, he owned up to the situation straight away and was was really really upset that the situation had arisen um, and it led us to think that whilst we've done a number of risk assessments in this situation what we didn't do maybe was take some of those practical steps to remove that temptation from the situation which wouldn't have led him into that position in the first place. Um, we decided to give him another chance. Um, he's moved into a different role within the company. Um, he's now in a role where he's absolutely flourishing and he's becoming very influential in terms of the way we work um, with different different tenants and residents across the organisation. So it's a fantastic success story from something that could have been very challenging um, and, and maybe have had a different outcome if I wind the clock back up a couple of years. Um, you know, previously we would have stepped into a very formal process to deal with that. Um, and now we would take a step back to look at how the situation 
occurred and then take steps to make sure that it didn't arise again. And, and I think Claire mentioned at the beginning the fact that we've moved away from disciplinaries and grievances. And I think a reflection from a staff perspective is we know a disciplinary situations damages trust and no one comes out of the situation feeling great, either the manager that needs to start the disciplinary or the person who has has a, got a conduct issue or um, has done something which has led the organisation to, 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 to be concerned about their, their behaviour. Um, so we know it has an impact negatively on people's well-being. So we took a conscious decision to really look at things differently. And obviously we've given a couple of examples today, but when we reviewed our progress over the last year, our disciplinaries have reduced by 75%. When I look at the number of disciplinary situations we were managing the previous year, um, and it just demonstrates, I think, that by resolving things in a less formal way, you can get much more positive outcomes. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I think that's so powerful. Um, I think some would say that it carries, you know, a lot of risk, um, but it definitely lives up to um, one of the key principles of trauma and ACE informed practice, which is safety and feeling safe to make mistakes um, and, you know, share feelings. Um, I'm quite curious as to how you reflect and review um, processes within the organisation, you know, to, to kind of take a step back and to see if things are working um, and if anything needs to be amended. Um, you know, perhaps you could talk a little bit more about that. I think one of the things about the journey that we're on is um, we try not to be defensive when we're challenged on things because sometimes with the best intent, it doesn't necessarily mean that senior people in the organisation always adapt or adopt the right approach to things. So I think a good example has been during the COVID pandemic when when all the data started to emerge about the um, impact of um, COVID on BAME communities. We only employ very small numbers of BAME staff. However, immediately um, some of our staff challenged us about whether we'd carried out sufficient risk assessments for them in their work and it was around the time that I think the Welsh Government had just produced a risk assessment specifically for BAME staff so we presumed that that would work really well for us so we issued that out to staff and um, we got challenged back from quite a junior member of staff about the inadequacy of the risk assessment and I think in many organisations Maybe the people team might have felt a bit affronted by that, but we didn't. What we did was we we wanted to understand. So we sat and listened to that member of staff's concerns about the risk assessment. And we carried out further work to make sure that we had a risk assessment that was appropriate and that we were putting sufficient measures, measures in place to support those staff. So I think one of the key things is, is to recognise that we're all on a journey in this and sometimes we may have an approach that's going to work effectively but other times we may need to be really um working really closely and, and in tune with our staff members who may be closer to a situation or have a greater understanding of, of what might work best for us inside Clwyd Allen. So Elaine whether there's anything you wanted to add to that in terms of our learning on things? Yeah I, I think that was just a, a, a great example of kind of how we reflect um, and possibly as Claire said in the past 
we would have taken quite a defensive position around the challenge but actually by listening and asking more questions it's opened up much broader conversations about how it feels so it's taken the discussion with that individual and, and a small group of staff in a, in a different direction that we probably wouldn't have, have started with actually unless they'd raised that particular issue so it's about learning from it all the time and just not thinking that you always know all of the answers and can fix everything as well because you can't that's great thank you um i was wondering if we could talk a little bit now about um the importance of leadership um, when taking a, a trace approach um, you know Claire could you perhaps talk about the leadership style um, and the environment that you kind of strive to create um, in the organisation as well thanks Sarah um, I think um, I guess the most important um, thing for me around leadership is having a climate of trust and that really comes, I think, from my own personal um, values base, whereby I know throughout my whole life, whether it's been in my personal life or my work life, I'm a better person when I feel trusted. So at work, I've been lucky in my career that I've been given lots of opportunities where people have really let me get on with things, try new things, make mistakes and learn from it. So there have been a couple of times where my kind of high levels of trust have got me in trouble at work and um, probably at personal life too. But, um, and I think when I was younger on a few occasions caused me to question whether it was right to trust first or whether people ought to earn your trust. But I think when I reflect now over a kind of 30 plus year working career, it's only been occasionally that my trust has been misplaced. Much, much, much more often people thrive and grow when they feel trusted so that's the most important thing for me i think the second one is um listening i think as a leader it's crucial that you listen and i really mean truly listen um, because that's how you build rapport with people whether that's residents or colleagues or staff members so i think spending a lot of time talking with people listening to people getting where they come from what their views are on things really getting to know people and build rapport I think makes people feel part of a team. We spent a lot of time when I first joined Clwyd Allen working on our mission. So we didn't just, I didn't just dream something up one night about poverty and tell everybody that, that was going to be our mission. We did an awful lot of work together, asking ourselves lots of really difficult questions about what we're here for as a housing business to arrive at that. And I think having those kind of deep conversations, listening to each other um, and developing a shared approach makes it easier then for people to get behind what it is that you're um, working towards as an organisation. And I think that kind of whole just constant reflection and review, which is which is part of the journey that we're on now at Clwyd Allen. That's great. Thank you, Claire. Um, Suzanne, if we could turn to you for the next question, um, could you tell us about how you've adopted this approach with tenants? Um, we've already heard that the organisation has a policy not to evict anyone. Um, you know, this was groundbreaking when you introduced it two years ago. Um, how is it working in practice? Are your rent arrears on the rise? Okay, hi. Um, no, the rent arrears aren't increasing. We've been, I suppose, quite 
fortunate in that they've remained fairly static throughout the pandemic and we haven't seen you know a major spike in rent arrears and a lot of that I put down to the work that we already had in place around our no evictions into homelessness and linking in with with tenants and really going back to basics of getting to know our residents and getting to understand um, their personal situation circumstances that they find themselves in at that time so what we did was we um, took things back really to step one and, and adopted a very early intervention and supportive approach to rent arrears um, we looked at our policies that were in place that all basically listed out the punitive actions we would take if tenants didn't pay their rent rather than how we would actually provide the support to enable our tenants to, to pay their rent and enable them to, to maintain their homes. So we took everything, everything back, every case back to step one and we worked with staff and that was right the way through from team leaders, managers, myself, viewing cases, looking at how we could actually provide some level of intervention and, and support in actually getting to know residents, particular situations, circumstances, and looking at how we could support them to remain in that property if that was where they wanted to be, or to look at a, a move to a more suitable property if, if, if that was the outcome that, that the resident wanted at the same time. Um, so it, it's worked quite well. In the first 12 months that we introduced it, we managed to reduce evictions by 87%. And we only had four evictions for that year, and none of those were into homelessness. They were all into um, people had alternative accommodation to, to go to, or we had provided alternative accommodation for them to go to. Every case is unique. You can imagine when you're when you're dealing with um, the number of of, of residents that, that we work with, everybody's individual circumstances are completely unique. And that's part of the learning is that we can't just apply a standard approach. Everybody has different needs, different um, different things that they need support with. So when when you actually start to work with with residents around their arrears, you will find, and, and I can't think of any case in the last two years that that I've dealt with somebody who just won't pay their rent. There generally are people that can't pay their rent for various reasons. So um, one of the cases that we had was um, uh, a lady who had been victim of quite terrible domestic violence and her. Um, partner had left the property and this had caused the, the children to be put on the at-risk register um, and she had by, by virtue of separating from her husband had no recourse to, to public funds so for for this it was a very difficult case but we actually worked with children's services in the local authority we worked the council tax and local authority as well around council tax um, bills that were there we worked with the local school that the children were in and actually looked at how we could actually um, provide a settled period of time for this lady so that she could access benefits and could um, access public funds so that we didn't have to take eviction action. If we took eviction action, it would have meant that the local authority had a duty to house the children. Um, so the children's services stepped in and they paid the rent for the accommodation for a period of time. The local school stepped in and gave uh, the lady employment. 
on a part-time basis, council tax agreed to write off the former arrears on the council tax and we agreed to write off the former arrears on the tenancy. So actually by the time that we could, we then got benefits in place and, and we could access funds that we were able to provide a fresh start, but the children had remained in their home, in their local school where they were receiving so much support and the, the tenant had um, part-time employment in that school as well, which fit in with the children's education hours. So it was a really um, positive outcome, but it, it took an awful amount of support work and, and, and that sort of reflects the the changing role really of housing offices and income offices in that you know it's not a question of following processes and procedures anymore it's it's that real deep understanding of what the needs of the residents are you also recently made the decision um to not have an antisocial behavior team which is a very brave and innovative move within your sector um could you tell us a bit more about that and, and how you manage risk when it comes to making big changes yeah, but it, it's, it's strange that one because it doesn't feel brave to me until people say it's a brave and innovative move. I think it feels like the, the next natural step for us um, in how we want to work with residents. So similar to what we've done in when we're looking at rent arrears and providing that early intervention preventative approach, that's the step that we want to take to um, resident concerns that are raised and we're, we're trying to get away from the label of antisocial. Um, what we want to do with this next stage is that a housing officer is responsible for all, all the resident needs in their community area that they're working with. So that means small community areas where they, they um, are able to manage that, but that they are the key person that a resident can go to if they have issues with um, rent arrears, if they've got issues with their property or if they've got issues with neighbours or other residents um, and that by actually getting involved very early and having conversations about what's happening rather than automatically starting a formal process at the first sign of a complaint, um, we think that this will help us to get a better understanding of what's going on and help us to target support where it needs to be targeted. I think in the past, maybe what we've tried to do is to do everything ourselves and we're building up a lot more partnerships with um, other organisations to bring in that key level of support whenever we need it. But it is understanding that actually people have mental health issues, they have substance misuse issues, they may need some additional support with their parenting skills. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're antisocial, it just means that they, they have other things that they're dealing with at that time. Some of it as well is, um, I suppose, information and support for those people that live around anybody who's who's got additional needs or, or um, display in particular behaviours to, to maybe build a level of understanding about what's, what's going on. And you've got to be careful about how you deal with that as well in terms of, you know, disclosing personal information. But it, it is providing support for those people who do make the complaints at the same time as the um, any alleged perpetrators. So what what we're encouraging to do and we're we're still working through this process and we're working closely with our housing officers who are the people that are, are out there with the residents and taking on board um, their 
concerns or issues that they find. So we've developed developing a system whereby housing officers will buddy up, that they will provide mentoring and support for them and how you can deal with particular situations. There may be cases that get switched to a different housing officer because it makes sense for somebody else to take on that on that case for a particular period of time and actually have somebody fresh so that you don't necessarily breach any trust or relationship that's already been built up. Um, but very much doing it in the same approach as we did with the rent arrears in that it's it's never just one thing. It's a similar with the rent arrears. It's never just somebody not paying their rent. It's always a lot of other issues that are going on underneath that and things escalate. And I think by a traditional approach is, you know, a neighbour will make a complaint about the person next door. It goes to the antisocial behaviour team and immediately everything gets escalated because there's been an antisocial behaviour complaint about them. And, and that's what we're trying not to do is just to get in quickly with a conversation an understanding and try and prevent things from escalating wherever we can. What else do you do to, to practice kindness um, in how you carry out your services as a housing association? I suppose a few things, really. We. Um... Because part of our poverty mission, um, we've got four poverty priorities. They are uh, digital exclusion, food poverty, fuel poverty, and then jobs, employment, basically income poverty. And about 18 months ago now, we worked with a, a local council and a social enterprise to set up a, um, a, a specific social enterprise in North Wales to address food poverty. So we procure the main part of the meal for our extra care through this social enterprise which then provides it with some resources and fundraising that it carries out where it can deliver free meals to people suffering food poverty, freshly prepared free meals. We've also uh, more recently given more, I guess, free budgets to our housing officers so that the staff that Suzanne was referring to, they've got money available to do things that tenants might need. So that could be I don't know, helping somebody get their car taxed so they can get to work. That could be helping somebody with clothes for an interview or maybe helping them with floor coverings when they first moved into a property so we don't get antisocial behaviour complaints. We also, within our homeless services, our staff themselves do a um, sleep out once a year and other things throughout the year where they fundraise money so that our tenants who are in our street homeless services have got money to pay for vet bills for their dogs, I've got money to pay for haircuts. So it's all really about treating people with compassion and ha staff having the, the freedoms and flexibilities that they can just make decisions on the ground as and when that they feel that they need to, to help people. So I guess a, a few things like that really that we we get on with. We do different fundraising activities, we do quite a lot of fun activities for staff, um, whether that's quiz evenings, you know, all that type of stuff. But we've also more recently um, had staff volunteers who, in their spare time, maybe they are a keep fit instructor or Pilates, putting on courses online to support staff um, staff's wellbeing. We've really developed our wellbeing offer for staff over the last year. And our, our, our hopes and plans around that as well are that over time, we're going to be able to roll some of those services out to our tenants as well. So we're kind of, I guess what we, we like to do is to try things in a small way, see how it works. And all the time we look to see that the way we work with staff can be replicated with tenants or the learning from the way we work with tenants can be replicated with staff. 
Fantastic. Um, what would you say um, has been, obviously you're still, you know, you're on a journey, but what has your, what has the biggest benefit been of working in a trace informed way? I guess for me, it's about being able to keep people in the organisation that perhaps in the past we would have decided weren't right for us or we weren't right for them. And I think you invest an awful lot of resource, time and money when you recruit people. And the work we do is really important work. You know, we care and support, care for and support some of the most vulnerable people in North Wales. So generally speaking, people come to the organisation because that draws them in. So being able to find ways to keep people in the organisation and help and support them to grow their careers with us. That's one of the bits I'm really proud of. So I don't know what Elaine would say or Suzanne. Um, I think from a, an employee's perspective, I think it's it's about having the person at the centre of what you're doing and what you're thinking. So rather than being guided by a whole set of documentation or obligations or requirements, it's starting with what that person needs and how can we support them to be mm. the best. And, and I think we've seen a number of examples, particularly through the pandemic, where we've had to take those steps. Um, and I think it's starting to really demonstrate the benefits from a staff engagement and a staff trust perspective. Yeah, and I would I would say similar to Elaine, I think kind of um, working with staff teams and seeing staff change when they have that trust invested in them and they feel able to take risks and able to do things. I think that's been a key part of changing our approach with residents. It's kind of, well, you know the resident best, you tell me what needs to be done. Don't just follow a process that might have been written 10 years ago. It's, it's about what's best for that person. And then you see that staff member thrive then and carry on with that approach with other residents as well. Yeah, it's a good, yeah, good point. Fantastic. Um, I think a lot of a lot of organisations who want to take this approach might assume that they um, they have to be working with vulnerable people to take this approach on. But I think that you are a really good example of how mm. the benefits are so great for staff um, working for any organisation. So it shows that this could be adopted yeah. universally. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, um, you know, we've we've all experienced difficulties and challenges in our lives. We might not like to call them traumas, but we all come with some baggage of some sort, don't we? Everybody does. And I think what we're really trying to create is a place where you can bring your whole self to work. Um, I've heard people talk in the past about, you know, their work persona and the fact that they're a different person when they're at home. And the person that people are outside of work is is just the person we want inside work. So but you have to create the climate, don't you, where people feel they can you know, bring the whole self through the door every day um, and be open about who they are and what matters to them. So that's that's really what we're we're trying to do. And I think, you know, this would be as valuable in. Airbus in Broughton, um, you know, Halifax Bank, as it is inside a housing association working with, um, you know, some vulnerable people. Um, we're, we're on a journey. Um, 
There's another housing association in South Wales that's also um, working towards becoming trauma-informed, um, Family Housing Association, and we're going to be doing some peer-to-peer -peer support with each other. So they're at a different stage with their journey than we are. Um, we've both been using um, the Trace Toolkit, but we're um, going to share share practice and work together as we go through this journey. So I think we're, we're, we're at a different stage with some of our work, and they've done a lot more of the kind of formal part of working through the toolkit. So we're going to be able to share um, our practices as we go, which feels which feels really nice. Um, and we're also working quite closely with Glendua University because as they're rolling out their civic mission, they're also on this journey. So um, I think I think this is going to grow arms and legs. And I think all sorts of organisations are going to find the benefit of this over the next few years. We hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you want to share your thoughts or connect with us on Twitter, you can find us with the username at AceHubWales. And if you want to hear more inspiring conversations, then please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next episode coming soon. Bye-bye.